Welcome, everyone, to the PFF Fantasy Podcast. I am one of your hosts, John Macri, fantasy analyst here at PFF. And as always, I am joined by my great co-host, PFF's lead fantasy analyst, the great Nathan Yonke. Nate, how's it going? And uh, happy belated America Day to you. Thank you. Um, It's good to be here. It's good to be back in unofficial fantasy season now that the 4th of July has passed. Uh, Back to writing significant amount of articles again, so... Uh, good to really have things getting going now. Yeah, yeah, it's exciting. This is I've already got a few drafts uh, going for for this season. I, I've got I don't know how many more um, season long leagues that are going to be drafting in the next few months. But it's exciting. This is this is one of my favorite times of year for, of the year for sure. And yeah, it's good to see all the the content flying up on the site as well as we we fill out uh, fantasy season here. But um, yeah, it's 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 going to be exciting. And I think we got uh, some pretty good topics lined up for for draft season and, and heading into the season as well for the podcast. So it's uh, it's good stuff, but um, yeah, this, this episode where we're, we're, we're going to be covering our favorite sleeper wide receivers and tight ends for the 2023 fantasy season. So we're looking at players who are currently going beyond pick 120 uh, in ESPN's ADP. So that's later than 10th round of fantasy drafts uh, in a typical 12 team league. So we each have uh, two wide receivers and two, t- two tight ends with plenty of fun nuggets for you guys to consider as we get into fantasy draft season. Uh, But before we kick things off for this episode, I do want to mention that this episode is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Fabric by Gerber Life. Uh, As a parent, your top priority is always your children's well-being. You want to give them everything they need to grow and thrive both now and in the future. With term life insurance from from Fabric by Gerber Life help protect your family so their future is secure no matter what happens. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy quickly, often in less than 10 minutes. Life insurance can have a bad rap for being complicated, but Fabric makes it easy to apply with its seamless digital experience. It's all online and on your time. And if you need the extra support, you can access a team of licensed agents who can answer questions along the way. Take steps to help protect your family today with Fabric by Gerber Life. Take the 60-second quiz to find out if the term life insurance is right for you and apply today in just 10 minutes at meetfabric.com slash PFF. That's meetfabric.com slash PFF, M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash PFF. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company and distributed by Gerber Life Agency, LLC, using fabric technologies. Not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. For more information, visit us at meetfabric.com slash PFF. All right, let's get into it here. We got some fun names to talk about. Uh, Nate, let's let you kick things off here with your first sleeper wide receiver from the Green Bay Packers. Sure, we have Romeo Dobbs leading things off. And uh, Dobbs is someone who's been in the news a little bit during OTAs, um, noted as Jordan Love's favorite target during that time. And he got a bit of love during training camp last year. So it's not too surprising that he's getting a lot of love now. Um, He had a decent start to the season and then was kind of up and down throughout the season. Uh, The big reason that I like Dobbs, along with all the praise that he's been getting, 
is he did fairly well when he lined up in the slot last year. He saw his PFF grade increase when he was in the slot, uh, yards per route run, a number of other of those kind of statistics did better while he was in the slot and he was making some pretty big plays there as well. So the Packers lost Alan Lazard this offseason. They lost Randall Cobb this offseason. They were the two guys who were seeing a significant amount of that time in the slot, which was preventing Dobbs from lining up there even more frequently. So I think it's a situation where we'll see all of the Packers wide receivers see at least some time there. I think it'll be a pretty big rotation of letting the guys line up in different places, try to confuse the defense that way. So I think Dobbs will see an increased amount of playing time in the slot. So while he could see a decent amount of increase in terms of targets, just because he has less competition now, but I think the Packers will also be able to utilize him better than they were last year based on what he was good at. Nice. I like it. Yeah. I, I, I like Dobbs. I mean, you know, looking at some of his numbers last season too, he actually turned out to be like a really good separator as a rookie. Um, I think he had like a 59.4% uh, open target rate. He was really strong after the catch as well. 4.6 yards after the catch per reception. Um, and then if you look at like targets per route run on the Packers last season, Dobbs, Dobbs was actually second uh, among wide receivers behind only Watson. So he just barely edged out Alan Lazard in that ca- category, albeit on like 176 fewer routes, but still did a really good job at earning targets when he was on the field. Like you said, didn't necessarily get you know any end zone targets last year, but he still found a way to produce three touchdowns on 42 catches. So that was nice to see. And, and I think like you pointed out with these other guys gone, we, we could see him get more involved in those uh, high value, like fantasy plays like end zone targets, and maybe even a few more deep targets uh, with Lazard gone. Although Watson, Watson will probably still be King there, but um, I, I like it. I mean, he's, he's, I think my wide receiver 60 ish right now, Go, he's going as wide receiver 71 um on espn here so i'm with you on that one yeah and i'll note um i have written up uh top five sleepers at wide receiver and tight end this week you've had breakout players so while i'm talking about dobbs and one other sleeper here um you'll be able to read more there and you can read about john's breakout players and i will note um the definition that we gave uh players that are 120 or later on espn espn's adp um, there'll be some players in those articles that if you're playing uh, in some sharper leagues, some players will probably be going a little bit higher. So not all of the players will be sleepers in all of the leagues, but at least the guys that we're talking about now, I figure anyone who's listening to this in July are probably playing in some pretty sharp leagues right now. So trying to focus on some of the deeper sleepers today with some of these targets. Yeah. Good shout for sure. Um so let's go to from the Packers to a former Packer here. So this was one of my picks. I went with Alan Lazard of the New York Jets. He's currently going as 126 in ADP on ESPN right now. So he's pretty borderline uh, if we're being honest, but wide receiver 50 um, on, on ESPN. But for me, I mean, you, you, Alan Lazard going to a new team and Aaron Rodgers following him over there, by the way, uh, Alan Lazard got there first for the record, but um Anyways, Devontae Adams is was gone from Green Bay last year. Alan Lazard, who is a former UDFA, kind of he led the team in targets with with 98. Uh, now, for the first 
nine weeks of the season before Christian Watson emerged. Lazard led the Packers wide receivers in target rate when he was on the field. So 20.4%. That was fairly close with Dobbs and, and, and Cobb as well. All those guys ran over a hundred routes in that span. So we're very close, but um, Lazard led the group. And, but for me, where, where Lazard separated himself was as a deep threat. He, he led the team in target rate at 34%, uh, came up with six receptions for 185 yards and two touchdowns on those deep targets through the first nine games uh those six receptions equated to 85 percent of catchable deep targets for him so high success rate and, and a top 12 mark in the league for receivers with at least 10 deep targets in that span he was sandwiched right in between uh tyree kill and, and cooper cup so he also led uh, the Packers wide receivers in fantasy points per touch with 3.42 in that span, again, before what Watson stepped up in the latter half of the year. Um, once Christian Watson emerged uh, from week 10 and on, he Watson was the guy that took over the larger deep target share at 31.4%, while Lazard dropped down to second on the team. Still good, still a good number, though, at 23%, uh, and he was second um, behind Watson among Packers wide receivers in overall target rate as well. So, I mean, I don't think there's much of a question that, you know, Watson was the better receiving option uh, in Green Bay and, and right now, which is why he's going like six or seven rounds ahead of him in drafts at this point. But it doesn't mean that Rodgers in the Jets system won't rely on, on that familiarity again, which we know has been important to him as he's recruited guys that he's comfortable playing with and things like that. So um, he's also Rogers is not afraid to air the ball out. And, and again, before Watson blew up last season, Lazard was the clear favorite to target deep downfield. Um, Lazard also had the, the highest end zone target rate of all Packers and Jets wide receivers last year at 11.2%, and he was able to come up with three touchdowns. So there's, again, some of that familiarity there with, with Rodgers in, in like tight quarters where he could have some plays that he's more comfortable running with Lazard to help some high-value fantasy targets there as well. Um, obviously, love Garrett Wilson just like everyone else, and I do think he's going to be excellent this season. But as far as wide receiver twos go, I, I like Lazard quite a bit as as well in an offense that should have plenty of catchable passes to go around. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. And I like how you put Dobbs and Lazard together since I have some similar points that I just made on Dobbs <laughs> that also apply to Lazard and that uh, if you look at his stats over these past couple of seasons, compare how he's done in the slot compared to how he's done out wide, he's performed better in the slot, both in terms of all uh, in terms of PFF grade, in terms of yards per route run, in terms of touchdowns per route run. The one thing that was especially interesting is looking at his targets per route run. They were a bit higher when Nathaniel Hackett was the offensive coordinator compared to this past year. He saw a pretty big decrease in targets per route run this past year when he's lined up in the slot. So I think with the Jets, he'll be able to have more production in the slot than what we saw last year. And with the Jets, it was Elijah Moore, Braxton Berrios, who were their primary slot receivers last year. They're both gone. Um, they did add McCall Hardman, who plays a pretty significant amount of his time in the slot. At least he did in Kansas City. Also added uh, Randall Cobb, who's his slot receiver. But I think with New York, they'll probably have all of their players play all of the positions basically at wide receiver everyone get at least some time in the slot so i think lazard will be able to take better advantage of that this year than he was able to last year 
For sure. Yeah, I love that. And yeah, I think that the Jets gave a pretty significant contract as well, too. So they're they're fairly invested in him, if I remember. I believe it was four years. I can't remember the exact numbers on it. I, I wish I had written that down. But that, that plays a part into it as well, right? It tells you a little bit about what the team might think of a player and how they want to uh, invest in them. So um, yeah, like that. Uh, let's go on to another wide receiver here. You got your Tennessee Titans jersey on today. Um, you're representing Tennessee. So who do you have as a sleeper in Tennessee? Oh, Phillips is probably my favorite deep sleeper at wide receiver this season. Um, going back to last year, who was a fifth round pick by the Titans, uh, was deemed uh, by our superlatives going into the draft as well as our draft guide as the best specific slot receiver in the class and Tennessee viewed him as exactly such as a slot receiver Uh, going back to the preseason, the second week of the preseason, uh, they had this crazy rotation at wide receiver where each drive, it was a different pair on the field that lasted uh, well into the third and fourth quarter. But whenever they were in a three wide receiver set, Kyle Phillips was always on the field. So it became pretty clear at that point uh, what they thought of his role in the offense. And then you go to the following preseason game where a number of starters rested, a number of starters played, and Robert Woods and Phillips played the first drive, didn't play at all the rest of the game. So it was pretty clear heading into the season, Phillips was viewed as a starter, as their clear slot receiver for the season. Week one, he led the team in targets, receptions, receiving yards, targets per route run at 42.9%, which is a huge number for a wide receiver. So that was pretty alarming after week one. Injured his shoulder in week two after uh, only playing 13 snaps, missed the following week. Uh, they tried to ease him back in. Injured his hamstring in week five, was out the rest of the season. So he was on a very nice path last year, and then injuries just kind of put everything to a halt. And then we fast forward to this season, uh, Tennessee has lost players at wide receiver and hasn't really done much to uh, add wide receivers to the team. I know there's been the rumors that they want to add DeAndre Hopkins. It's unclear at this point if that will end up happening this year or not. But even if he's on the team, I expect Phillips to be the primary slot receiver. And it's a team where they're going to be down significantly throughout the season, we expect, based on all of the players they've lost and uh, haven't really added a ton this offseason. And so I expect them to be passing a lot, and they don't have a ton of options. Um, they have a few at wide receiver, one especially at tight end that you'll be able to read about from both of us this week that we've already talked about on the podcast before. So we are skipping him as a sleeper slash breakout option today, but um, they don't have a ton of options in the passing game. So I think Phillips, while I don't see him becoming a like top 15 fantasy wide receiver this season or anything like that, but I think he'll be able to accumulate enough volume over the course of the season that you'll be able to start him a couple of weeks, assuming he can stay healthy this time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a fan of Phillips. I, I like him quite a bit. And that, that week one last year and, and the preseason as well, really got my, my hopes up as someone who, you know, kind of drafted him a lot in, in late and rookie drafts last year. And um, unfortunately, yeah, the, the injuries kind of put his, his rookie season uh, on like on holds for, as far as, you know, what he can do as a, as a fantasy asset, but we did get a taste of it there in week one. And I do think he could be, you know, the starting slot receiver at, at the very least um, over, you know, they brought in Chris Moore um, 
this offseason, not somebody I'm too concerned about, um, especially with this Tennessee regime, coaching regime, having been the ones that drafted Phillips and, and utilizing the the way that they did, like you had pointed out. So um, I guess the, the only thing really, you know, for the, the Titans as, as an offense, they were among the bottom of the league and pass rate last season. So you know, he'll, he'll need those starting snaps obviously to get the fantasy relevancy. Um, and then, like you said, obviously we got the, the real baby Gronk, um, Chico Conquo over there, um, who could, you know, potentially get a bigger, uh, bigger role this season. But I, I do, I really like the chance for Phillips to kind of emerge this season as, as like a, you know, maybe a wide receiver three type, um, if, if things go well and, um, the call as a sleeper, I think, makes perfect sense, especially considering where he's going in drafts, which a lot of the times you don't even see him get drafted. So I'm, I'm pretty hopeful for for Kyle Phillips this year. Yeah, I want to move on to your last wide receiver sleeper. Yeah, let's go to this is my guy here from the Houston Texans, Nico Collins. Uh, he has an ESPN ADP of 168 going as wide receiver 61. So. We only got 10 games out of Collins uh, in his sophomore season last year. He dealt with injuries as well, but here too, at least what was a significant improvement from his rookie year. And, and based on, you know, you look at typical wide receiver progression, year three could have a chance to be even better. Um, he did improve his fantasy points per game from 6.0 as a rookie to 9.7 last season, while also contending with Brandon Cooks for some of those outside targets uh, on an offense that ranked 29th in the league in passing grade, 29th in total points scored, and 31st in positive EPA per play rate. So really not good. Um, I, I don't necessarily expect the 2023 Texans to, to be an elite offense all of a sudden, but I, I don't think it's you know, asking too much that they'll at least be a better offense than they were last season. You got a new coaching staff coming in under D'Amico Ryans, uh, CJ Stroud, the second overall pick at quarterback. And then uh, better news for Collins is that Brandon Cooks is off to Dallas, right? So um, the team did bring in Robert Woods in free agency. They drafted Tank Dell and, and apparently John Mechie should be good to go this year, which is, which is great for the team as a whole. But I, I don't, think it hurts Collins all that much for this season. You know, last year, if you look, even with Cooks in the lineup, Collins led the team's wide receivers and target rate at 22.4% compared to Cooks's 20.6%. Um, now, this didn't exactly lead to like amazing fantasy success, but again, that offense was abysmal. So that that 22% target rate is a great number. And for a player who should be on the field more this year, assuming he's healthy, um, that should allow for better fantasy production. Um, he also had one of the better contested catch rates last year at 75%, had a really strong 35.1% explosive play rate. Uh, and he led all Texans receiving options in yards per route run as well at 1.68. So for, for a guy who finished the year as like wide receiver 77, I think there's a lot to like about, you know, his potential uh, to see significant progression uh, and, and potentially greatly outperform his current ADP uh, again, as long as he can stay healthy because he has missed, I think 10 games in his first two seasons, unfortunately. So um, yeah, I, I'm going to go with uh, Nico Collins as one of my sleepers. Yeah. And I think that's perfectly fair. I think, He's kind of a classic example of someone that you're looking for for a sleeper, someone who's a young wide receiver who's shown improvement in his time and a different situation this year than he was in last year. So there's the opportunity for things to progress. So I think he's a pretty good example there. Um, the one kind of drawback I have on him is just I'm kind of concerned anytime that 
Um, there's a new coaching staff and they bring in a lot of different players at the same position as you added Robert Woods and Noah Brown and free agency tank Dell also added uh, Xavier Hutchinson in the draft. So they added four different wide receivers, which luckily like Collins is the one kind of main person that they kept from last season. So I could very well see Collins leading this team in targets. I could also see, um, them starting to like some of the other wide receivers that they brought in because they chose to bring him those players in. So um, since he's a sleeper, um, obviously you're not banking on him being your starter. So you can take those kind of risks and something that's really nice with Collins compared to like some rookie wide receivers is when you look at the preseason, there's plenty of times where a rookie will start off lower on the depth chart and then work their way up. So like we saw last season, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave weren't necessarily the clear starters at wide receivers at the start of the preseason, they worked their way up there. But I think with a situation like this, um, if we see Collins playing with the second team in the preseason, then that's a clear red flag where if he's playing with the starters and some of these other players are playing with the backups, then that helps affirm that he's going to be a clear part of this offense's plan. So I think that's kind of nice to have that with a player like Collins, where you'll be able to know sometime in early August um, how much stock you should put into him as a sleeper compared to a number of rookie wide receivers where you just don't know and you're hoping throughout the season that they're able to get to a point that they just might never get to in the rookie season. And then they're just keeping a spot on your bench the whole year. Yeah. Very good point. Um, yeah, well said. So uh, before we keep going, uh, we do have another sponsor we'd like to shout out, and that is our friends at DraftKings. Uh, the player you benched in fantasy football just went off. With Best Ball on DraftKings, you get the best of your team all season long. This year, Best Ball on DraftKings is bigger and better than ever with $10 million in guaranteed cash prizes up for grabs. Join DraftKings' biggest Best Ball contest today and get your first entry back in DraftKings dollars as soon as the draft is finished. Enter DraftKings Best Ball Millionaire Contest and snake draft your team for the season. Each week, you'll automatically rack up points from all your top scorers, no ads, drops, or trades. Teams with the most points by the end of the season will have a shot to take home the $1 million top prize. Head to the DraftKings app and sign up with code PFF. Join the DraftKings $10 million Best Ball Tournament and get your first entry back in DraftKings dollars. That's code PFF. Only on DraftKings. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. One per customer. Opt-in required with $10 entry fee. Bonus issued at 10 DraftKings dollars. Age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. See DraftKings.com slash promotions for details. All right. So that'll do it for our, our wide receivers. But we got some tight ends here. So um, I'll, I'll start it off here uh, with with one of my favorite sleepers at the tight end position, and that is Noah Fant of the Seattle Seahawks. He has an ESPN ADP of 236, going as tight end 29. Uh, so last year, Fant's, Fant's first year with the Seahawks, uh, it actually was okay overall. He finished the year as tight end 17, but he did see his fantasy football uh, points per game drop off a fair bit, down from 10 in both years with the Broncos to 7.2 last year. Um, however, Pete Carroll's Seahawks were a top five team in targeting the tight end last season. And part of that is that the Seahawks led the league in 12 personnel rates, so they, they had more tight ends on the field, though 
that isn't something that's, you know, out of the norm for Carroll's offense he's been among the top five teams in 12 personnel rate in each of the last three seasons. Um, but only this past year with Geno Smith at the helm and, and Fant in the offense, were they actually even above average in total targets to the tight end position. So a uh, top five in that case is, is a notif- noticeable difference. Um, Fant did have to share targets a bit with guys like Will Disley and, and Colby Parkinson uh, because of that high 12 personnel rate. And, and both guys are still on the roster, but he did lead the position group in total targets with 63, while the other two didn't cross 40 on the year, despite playing 15 and 17 games respectively. Um, now, this this is kind of where I probably have to overcome some of the concerns for this season after the team spent a first round pick on the draft's top wide receiver in Jackson Smith and Jigba. Uh, I think it could go a, a couple different ways here. So, so bear with me. <laughs> um, the first one being that Maybe Carroll decides he wants all three of his best wide receivers on the field more, which leads to a significant increase in 11 personnel and and obviously a big shift down in 12 personnel. But if that happens, then, you know, JSN, he's a, he's a much greater threat for targets than Disley or Parkinson, obviously. But the positive of that would be that Fant, as the best receiving tight end on the team, would now see the bulk of pass down snaps by himself. So the large majority of plays that are drawn up for a tight end would exclusively go to him in that case. Um the other way it could go, which I, I think could also be fine for fan, is that Carroll continues the high rate of 12 personnel, doesn't feel the need to rush JSN into a heavy workload as a rookie, but fan continues to share the field and some targets with Disley and or Parkinson. If that's the case, then I'll, I'll still really like fans' chances of repeating what he did last year, last year um, potentially even approving, improving on it, especially with another year in that system, uh, potentially allowing him to be more involved anyways. And, and then obviously Geno Smith's reliance on the position on top top of that so I, I guess what i'm saying after all that is that tight end 29 feels like a pretty great value for a player that is likely being pushed down draft boards because of the perception of mouths to feed in seattle but you know for all the reasons i laid out on top of this being an above average passing offense and him being a really great separator 63 68.3 open target rate i think fant is a strong bet to exceed expectations and he's easily one of my favorite sleepers at the position for for 2023 fair i think um i'm a little more against fant than you are and i think part of that is um kind of looking at the difference between rankings and projections and where I think he'll end up and probably for me also how good I think the backup tight ends are. But I very well, I fairly confident that will end up higher than tight end 29 this season. Um, I think he'll have the volume to do that. And I think he has the talent to do that, but I have a hard time seeing him as a potential top 12 fantasy tight end because of all the other things going on in Seattle. And last year, they had a pretty heavy rotation of three tight ends with Will Disley and Colby Parkinson. Um, all of them ended up with over 200 pass routes. All of them ended up with receiving grades somewhere between 69 and 71. So they could all be used pretty interchangeably throughout the entire season. Um, the biggest trend was Will Disley was pretty much always the guy when they were in 21 personnel, which doesn't really matter too much for fantasy. And then there was definitely the tendency that Bant would be the guy in 11 personnel, but they did use all three of their tight ends in 11 personnel at various points throughout the season. So I think, um, like you said, with uh, Jackson Smith and the Jigba there, that could probably lead to more 11 personnel this season. And Bant is typically going to be the guy in 11 personnel 
Um, it, for me, it really depends on how much they like their backup tight ends that since they won't be in as much in 12 personnel, if they start rotating them in more for 11 or not. So I think that's at least a possibility that that could happen. I think with Parkinson being someone that they drafted and has been kind of working up the ranks throughout his career so far. Um, if you look those last couple games of last season when Disley was on injured reserve, uh, Parkinson was playing over 80% of offensive snaps compared to um, Fant was somewhere in the 60s, which part of that's because of more run formations and those kind of things. But the fact that they were having Parkinson play so much in the case of an injury is also a little bit of a concern for me. And just if there is an injury, I don't expect Fant to see his snaps increase all that much since they have other guys that they're fine having in those run situations. And uh, like you said, they have a lot of talent at plenty of the positions. Tyler Lockett's still a great wide receiver. DK Metcalf's still a great wide receiver. They have a good one-two punch in the run game that they'll like. So for me, it's hard to see him getting enough targets to be a top 12 fantasy tight end, even though I definitely expect him to be better than tight end 29. But when I'm drafting tight ends that late, I prefer someone who has a chance to have a huge upside where Fant, we kind of seen what he can do in this offense. And I'm not sure it can increase all that much more than what we saw last year. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. And and I, I guess the way I was looking at it, right, just kind of the discrepancies in, in, in rankings and NADP, right? So tight end 29, I have him as like tight end 19. I, I've moved him up and down a little bit with, within a spot or two of that, of that range. But yeah, feeling kind of the same. I, I don't think top 12 is really likely, but I think, you know, potentially could be a high end tight end one or tight end two, sorry. Um, and then, you know, most likely I think scenario is just, you know, a regular tight end two that we can rely on and in as a plug and play um throughout the season um and i think it's a good example of you need to adjust your rankings based on the leagues that you're in if you're in a league where um you're able to start two tight ends or if you're in a league with 14 or 16 people in the league then fans a lot more valuable because he can be a starter in those leagues and when you see his rank or his adp of tight end 29 that makes him a huge value because you can put him in in those spots but if you're in a 10 or a 12 team league then it's a bit harder to have a scenario where you would want to start him yeah for sure that's a good that's a good point um okay let's do it let's do another tight end here who do you got uh, as your your next guy I'm um, sure I will go with Hayden Hurst as my first tight end on the list, going to the Carolina Panthers in their completely remade offense with the new quarterback, new running back, a bunch of new wide receivers, and he ends up being the new tight end. Um, I know this is his fourth team in the last five years, so um, we know he is good enough to be a starting tight end, but not good enough to be a tight end that teams have wanted to keep in the past. But um, if you look at his numbers and especially how he performed last year, most of them were above average for a starting tight end. So he was playing pretty decently in terms of both uh, volume and how well he was doing. Um, the big thing to like about him was he's had a pretty high uh, just touchdown to receptions ratio. So when you're looking for that like bottom tight end that you didn't draft anyone good and you're just hoping to have a nice performance that week, he has that high touchdown odds. But for me, um, a lot of it has to do with the coaching staff and now playing under Frank Reich. Um, and he just has had a tendency to throw t tight ends wherever he's been. Uh, been either the head coach or offensive coordinators at a couple of different teams now. But um, when he was with the head coach with the Colts, he, they threw to tight ends the sixth most for an, of any team. 
And Indianapolis really hasn't had a great tight end at any point during his time in Indianapolis. They've had a number of fairly good players, just not a great one. Um, Going back to when he was with Philadelphia, back when they had Zach Ertz, they were the team that threw to tight ends the most. And then even going back to his time with the Chargers, they were eighth most in terms of how often they threw to tight ends. So I think um, if you take his average talent and how much in the past that coaching staff has had the quarterbacks throw to tight ends, I could see Hurst having a decent amount of volume and potentially be able to score touchdowns this season like he has in the past, even though um, the Panthers offense is going to be a pretty big unknown with all of these new pieces coming together. So um, definitely a chance that it takes the offense some time to get things together, in which case Hurst probably isn't going to have enough volume or production to get to that top 12 tight end range. But I think if the Carolina offense is doing a little better than expected, then I could very well see Hurst being someone who's in the top 10 in terms of targets for tight ends and also seeing some touchdowns. So that would probably be good enough to make him in the top 12 tight ends. So I think a lot of it is riding on how good the Carolina offense can be in this first year with all these players playing together for the first time. But I think for a team it's working out, it'll also work out for Hurst. Nice. Yeah, I like it. Um, yeah, he's going as like tight end 27 right now uh, on ESPN. So outside the top, you know, 24 tight ends and uh, ADP of 218. So and and yeah, we, we've talked about like the Panthers receiving core a few times right on this podcast already. And, and we've always kind of come away feeling like pretty ho-hum about them. So I, I've always kind of looked at this group as like anyone can emerge or, or pick your flavor or favorite value here. And Hurst is another one who, like you said, could very easily emerge um, as relevant. I, I definitely like him better than the tight end 27 consensus as well. Um, and he was able to post some, you know, pretty impressive individual numbers last year with the Bengals as well. He had a 63.1% open target rate, uh, 66.7% contested catch rate. He was earning five targets per game. He finished the year with an 80% catch rate on his targets with just a 3.7% drop rate. So, you know, he, he's a good, reliable tight end and, and someone I definitely feel uh, comfortable with near the end of drafts, drafts. If I already have like a high end tight end one in those like one tight end leagues, like you say, um, I have no problem with him as like a, my, my tight end too. Um, obviously, you know, the main thing, like you said, with the offense and, and if Bryce Young can support him on a weekly basis. And I, I know, you know, one of those like uh, common football phrases you hear every so often when watching like games from the commentary team, they'll say something like a uh, uh, tight end can can be a great security blanket for a rookie quarterback, so, something along those lines, right? That they they never actually back back up with any kind of data or anything like that. So I, I had to look into it to see if um, rookie quarterbacks do have more of a tendency to target the tight end position. Um, and very unsurprisingly, it is almost exactly the same. Uh, in fact, it's actually slightly less of a tendency somehow so uh, if you look at a uh, typical quarterback to tight end target rates since 2013 it equates to 19.5 percent for a season if you look at rookie quarterback uh, to tight end target rate since 2013, it equates to 19.2% for a season. So 0.3% uh, <laughs> uh, less. And then if you're looking at the amount of targets per year from, from rookie quarterbacks to tight ends, we're looking at 41.4 targets per year versus 51.2. So anyways, just 
you know, a little fun fact for the listeners so that they can, you know, challenge their play-by-play or color guy on the next game they watch. And, and you know, when they hear that thrown around kind of willy-nilly. Um, and, and it's not to say that, you know, uh, Bryce Young or Anthony Richardson or, or CJ Stroud or whoever won't have a tendency to, to target the tight end individually. But in general, looking at the rookie quarterback, the tight end narrative narratives, it actually turns out to be a myth. So um, <laughs> anyways, that was that was my fun little bit of research that yeah. I got to do today <laughs> oh yeah that's a good point with how rookie quarterbacks don't always throw to tight ends more but i think you made a good point as well with the carolina wide receivers who we've talked about before and how there's not a clear top guy on this team so i think Hurst, there's at least a chance that he could lead the team in targets and i don't think there's all that many tight ends that you can really say have a solid chance of leading their team in targets so that's also part of why I like Kirsten. Also a couple more points that I will save for anyone who decides to read the article about how well he's played against zone defenses. Nice. Love it. All right, let's get uh, let's get one more ad done here before we move on to our last two tight ends. Uh this one is from Manscaped. Uh so if you haven't heard already, it's smooth sack summer. When you're playing in the summer sun, make sure you're scaped from pubes to bum. That's right. This is the summer to keep your balls cool while still looking hot with Manscaped. The leaders in below the waist grooming are making sure we have a ball this summer by giving our pants partners everything they need to stay fresh. Dive headfirst into smooth sack summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with our code PFF. The Manscaped Performance Package 4.0 has everything you need to prepare that summer bod. They have built the ultimate grooming bundle for your summer grooming. Their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multifunction on-off switch, can engage a travel lock, and gives you the ability to turn the 4,000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. Did I mention this trimmer is waterproof too? Beach, lake, or shower, this razor will devour even the strongest pubes. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts at their Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and Shed Travel Bag. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping plus the co- with the code PFF at manscaped.com. It's smooth sex summer, boys. Get on board or get left behind. All right. Manscaped. That's like the third time I've read it now. And it, it always, mm-hmm. it, it still gets me. Um, so okay, let's do, I got another uh, sleeper tight end here and I chose a rookie tight end. I went with Sam Laporta of the Detroit Lions. He's going at ESPN ADP of 186, which is tight end 21. So, you know, here I go kind of betting on a, on a rookie tight end, which statistically not the best recipe for success, but you know, every year there are outliers and, and Laporta to me is kind of like a personal favorite rookie tight end to potentially make an impact this season um, outside of probably Dalton Kincaid, although super close for, for 2023, in my opinions. Um, so the lions, they had, they had their pick of tight end options outside of the first round, as we know, and in such a loaded class, they, they chose the best fit for them, which was uh, Sam Laporta out of Iowa 34th overall. Um, after trading away TJ Hawkinson last year, the lions went away from targeting the tight end position as a whole, as much as they did with, with Hawkinson on the team, they went from a top 10 rate in the league uh, in percentage of targets to the tight end position per route to 28th in the league once they traded him away. So 
Now, the hope, or at least my hope here with Laporta in place is that Detroit will have a reason to kind of go back to that well. Um, you know, we're talking about a tight end who offers a, a very strong receiving profile for Jared Goff to rely on based on, you know, top five marks in this this pretty hyped up tight end class since 2021. Uh, he he was top five in, in both receiving grade and yards per route run. Uh, he also offers speed and versatility. He could line up anywhere in the offense and be a receiving threat. Uh, he saw 20.5% of his snaps out wide last year at Iowa and 30.1% in the slot. So it allows them to kind of be a valuable fantasy option in a pretty dynamic offense that actually ranked top five in positive EPA per, per play percentage last season. Um, it's also an offense that just saw two of their top five receiving options and targets depart this offseason in DJ Chark and DeAndre Swift. Uh, Hawkinson was sixth on the team in targets, even though he was only there for seven games. Um, now they did add Marvin Jones and Jameer Gibbs, so those targets likely get redistributed a fair bit there. But the main thing that they're you know, are significant tight end targets at least to be had here and potentially in the red zone and the end zone as well. They, they actually relied heavily on uh, Shane Zilstra in those key areas of the field last year after Hawkinson was traded. Zilstra had a 30.8% target rate in the end zone, which led to four targets and four touchdowns, uh, all the most among all Lions receiving options. Uh, which is pretty crazy to me, but um, Zil Zilstra is still on the roster. It it's just hard to, I think, imagine the team maybe viewing him as the better receiving option over Laporta, especially after the draft capital they spent on him. And then you got all these reports at a camp, you know, being very positive surprise um, that Laporta, you know, he's been a standout. He even attended tight end university with Travis Kelsey and George Kittle. So um, you, you love to see the hype there. I, I think I'm buying in. Um, on Sam Laporta being a potential sleeper tight end option. Uh, yeah, I'd agree. I think he's a solid sleeper option. Um, we know rookie tight ends don't always have the best history, but I think in this case, it's a good mix of talent meets, meets opportunity. Like you said, with the tight ends that they currently have on the roster, um, it'll be interesting to see what kind of rotation they do, how much they end up giving him since they could have anywhere from a four-man rotation that's pretty ugly for fantasy managers or he could be an every-down player and that could change over the course of the season as well. So I think someone who, uh, just depending on the size of your league, worth drafting, but also someone that even if you're in a smaller league where you don't end up drafting uh, 20 tight ends amongst all of the fantasy managers, someone that I think would really be worth looking at over the waiver wire over the course of the season, just to see how his role progresses. Since I think he definitely will at some point over the course of his career be a tight end one. It's just a matter of if that's going to be able to happen this year, which like you said, with some of the weapons that they lost, there's definitely a chance that it can happen this year but uh, definitely worth keeping an eye on how his role changes throughout the year. And hopefully he has a big role right away in which he could be a star right away. So I think that's kind of like the perfect thing that you're looking for with the tight end. Uh, this late is just someone who's in a new opportunity to do things that um, where you just don't know what he'll end up doing, where other tight ends, we've seen what they can do. Um, they're in the same offense. They might have more competition now. So those are the kind of players to avoid, even if they should be average fantasy tight ends. But I think he's just someone definitely worth taking a risk on when you're looking for a second tight end. Sweet. All right, let's go to one more tight end here. Um, another guy that maybe has that potential as well. Who do you have as your final uh, sleeper tight end for this episode? 
Sure. The last one I have is Jelani Woods, who's a little bit of a deeper sleeper at a deep sleeper at tight end. Um, he's someone where with the Colts offense these past couple of years, uh, they've had multiple decent tight ends who have had to rotate in and out a lot. Um, it's something that we see with the Seahawks as well. I've been making a lot of these like graphs for tight ends. And there's a lot of times where I see the three Colts all together and the three Seahawks all together. Cause um, they all had similar roles and similar amount of quality of play. So uh, while they had that rotation last year, uh, Shane Steichen, who's the new head coach, uh, he's pretty consistently had a clear tight end with Dallas Goddard in Philadelphia, uh, Hunter Henry back when he was uh, the offensive coordinator with the Chargers. Um, in all those cases, those tight ends have finished in the top 10 in terms of fantasy points per game that season. So for me, a lot of it is the new head coach likes having a single tight end who has had a history of doing well in fantasy. Um, Woods was the 73rd pick in the 2022 draft, so it's not too surprising like we were just talking about with rookie tight ends don't always do a ton in their rookie year. Sometimes they do. Plenty of the time they don't, but um, he was the highest graded tight end for the Colts, especially the highest graded as a receiver. So I could very well see Woods becoming the guy for Indianapolis at tight end. Uh, they don't have a ton of competition for targets at wide receiver, which has kind of been a trend with some of these tight ends that we're talking about and that if the wide receivers aren't as good, that just increases the odds of throwing to the tight end. So um, it's a similar bit of an unknown, but the coaching staff, I think, can help in a big way of getting more targets to the tight end, even though it's a rookie quarterback who might not be the most accurate thrower. So um, it's just kind of a big unknown of how things will work out, but I'm going back to something I was saying earlier with uh, yeah, at wide receiver, how you could know or Nico Collins. I don't know why I was slipping my brain for a second there, but <laughs> um, how you can know in the preseason, see how the team is using the players. And that'll give a pretty good indication of how they'll be used the rest of the season so that we can see F Woods is playing a lot on third downs in the preseason or better yet, they're resting their starters and Woods is among those players not playing. And that can be a really good sign where if he's further down the rotation, then it might be harder to trust him this year. So I think he's someone that uh, come a month from now, will either see his ADP rise a bit or fall a bit. So mm -hmm. I think there's a chance it rises and a chance that he could be uh, one of those players who has a breakout season, whether or not that's good enough to get him among the top 12 tight ends. That's another thing to be seen, but I think he's definitely someone that's worth keeping an eye on over this next month. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, if you look at, you know, if you're drafting right now, uh, he's going as tight end 28, uh, ADP of 225 on ESPN. So, um, you know, again, he's costing next to nothing to acquire at this point. And, and like you said, you know, with uh, Shane Steichen coming in, we see that higher 11 personnel rate. If he can emerge as that that single tight end on the field, I think he has a really good chance, obviously, to to outperform those those numbers by quite a bit. And I like his chance to do so. I mean, we saw him emerge kind of in the latter half of last season as well, which which helped him. Um, or it's from week 12, yeah, week 12 on, he led all Colts tight ends and targets with 25. He was second on the team in receiving yards during that span as well uh, with 233. And then he led the entire team in yards per route run, uh, 2.14 during that stretch. 
stretch. The only thing was he just didn't get the touchdowns, right? Which is why he ranked as like only tight end 23. I think he finished for those final six games, but tight ends as we are touchdowns, as we know, can be, can be fairly unstable from year to year. So we could see some natural progression there for him. If, if he does get that number one role. So I like the call again, like you said, as long as Anthony Richardson can utilize him and he, he gets that starting role, I think he should be a really nice value. All right, that that'll do it for our 2023 sleeper wide receivers and tight ends. I'd like what Nate was saying before, if you want more um, from Nathan specifically on that topic, he just wrote up both those pieces uh, for PFF.com this week and should be on the website by the time you are all listening to this. Now we move on to our five round draft for those uh, that have been keeping score at home. My undefeated streak is officially dead at two um, <laughs> with Nate absolutely dummying me in, in the top animated movies draft. I, I was told repeatedly that I got too cute with it and off the beaten path. So all, all I can do is kind of pick myself up from my bootstraps, hope to learn from my mistakes, refocus, get back on track here, because this time around, we are drafting the best collection of GOAT athletes across all sports. So choosing who we think that is the greatest of all time uh, at specific sports and, and trying to create the best collection of those athletes. Uh, Nate, you are well prepped for this one, you told me. So I, I'm obviously a little concerned here because <laughs> I didn't get as much prep time as I would have liked um, for it because I did spend way too much time pulling data from that that uh, rookie quarterback to tight end tendency thing. Um, so I'll be winging it a little bit here and hopefully try to sneak out a win without anyone noticing that I was slacking in the, the data department and supporting my arguments. But uh, <laughs> yeah, well, luckily you get the first pick this time since I won. So you get the first yeah. pick and we'll see how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> so the, I was, I was definitely happy to get the first pick here because I do, I, this is at least for me, he's kind of the goat of goats. I, I'm going with Michael Jordan um, of the Chicago bulls and, and NBA fame, obviously. So we, we talked about him already in an episode in one of our five, uh, five round drafts, but five-time MVP, you know, six-time champion, six-time finals MVP. I, I don't know that we'll ever see like an athlete with, with kind of the level of reach and influence that Michael Jordan had at his peak. I mean, the guy was a, he was a true icon, legitimate worldwide superstar. I, to me, he was, he was the first and only choice for, for me to go one-on-one. Uh, yeah, he's who I had number one. And it's the <laughs> second time in one of these drafts that he's gone number one overall, yeah. but I anticipated this and I am fine getting Muhammad Ali number two, uh, part of my research, um, once we got to the year 2000, there were plenty of people, places that were doing their top athletes of the century. ESPN had him number three. Basically, everywhere I looked had him top three or four. Um, one Olympic gold. He started his career 55 and two, uh, four-time WBA heavyweight champion, uh, two-time WBC, and just widely regarded as uh, the best in his sport. So a lot of what I was looking for in athletes is they had to be undisputedly the best at what they did in their sport, or they had to be a multi-sport athlete. So I think Muhammad Ali definitely fits that bill and I'm happy to get him with my first pick. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great pick. Uh, hard to argue that one. Um, 
So this is where it gets maybe a little tricky for me, but I think I'm going to go Tom Brady. Um, we are a football podcast after all. So I'll go, uh, I'll go with the seven time Super Bowl winner. I mean, how many records does he hold at this point? Most touchdown passes, most passing yards, most completions, most games won, all of that fun stuff. Tom Brady considered the goat of the NFL. Um, I'll add him uh, to my list here. Yep, and when we look back at this in like five years and Patrick Mahomes is pretty close to all of those things, then <laughs> we'll see if he's still the number one quarterback. Fair, but, fair. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with Babe Ruth as my next pick. I'm um, nice. looking at all those lists of the top athletes of the century, number two by ESPN, number one by the Associated Press, um, seven-time World Series champion, 12-time home run leader, um, part of that initial Hall of Fame class by Major League Baseball. So, um, anywhere I looked down these lists, he was definitely the first baseball player mentioned. So happy to get Babe Ruth. And like, I will mention, cause this is baseball and like some of these lists were North American. Anytime I've done these lists before, I realized that my list ended up being a very America centric list. Cause I'm not as familiar with sports that aren't as popular in America, but if I can get the best player at America's game, I'll go with it. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I was just going to say I have uh, being Canadian, I just I'm not interested in baseball. So it, I, I'm glad you chose a baseball one because I did not have any baseball players. I I thought Babe Ruth would be would be the go to baseball, but I didn't want to say it just to make just to not make a fool of myself. So uh, <laughs> uh, being Canadian, I'll, I'll take one for the team here and I'll go with uh, Wayne Gretzky, uh, NHL, obviously hockey, um, Gretzky. I, I mean, the guy, he holds 61 NHL records right now, uh, including most goals, which a lot of people didn't think was going to be reached. I think it was 894, but Alexander Ovechkin is closing in on him and, and probably should pass him within the next couple of seasons as long as as long as long Ovi can keep it going. But um, everything else for hockey, points and, and points per game and, and points in a game and points in a season and everything like that is, is held by Wayne Gretzky. Um, so that'll be, that'll be pick three for me for the goat team. Fair enough. If you would have waited any longer with him, I would have taken him, but I'm like, <laughs> I would debated him as my second round pick, but I'm like, eh, I can't go and take him if you want him in the third round. Cause <laughs> that doesn't seem right. So right. <laughs> um, I would go with Usain Bolt for my third round pick um, eight, gold medals, uh, 11 world champions, uh, six-time world athlete of the year, 19 Guinness world records. And with sports, we're talking about speed and strength for a lot of this, and he's the fastest one out there. So um, it's hard to go against someone who's known for being that fast, still has plenty of world records there. So uh, out of crazy. a lot of the athletes I was looking at was like uh, guys over history, but he's one of the few in recent history that I'm like, okay, I'm ready to put him that high up, even though some of these guys, like their careers are still going or just ended in the case of Brady, like you were saying. But Bolt, I think, has kind of cemented himself that high up there, even though he's a more recent athlete. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I didn't realize that Usain Bolt had won at 19 Guinness World Records. Like, I knew he was like the fastest ever, but that that's crazy. Wow. Um, yeah, but geez, I didn't even think of Usain Bolt. See, this is this was the problem without the prep. All right, I'm gonna go with uh, my next pick. I am going with Tiger Woods. Um, so I think you know we could go to golf here. Um, 
And, and I, I don't know if there's much of a question again, I'm not a big golf guy, but I know that he's tied for the record uh, in PGA tour wins. He's got 82 and he's got five masters championships. Um, still pretty impressive, even with like all his injuries and everything like that to still keep it going and, and playing at a high level. Um, going to add tiger to my, my roster. Fair enough. Like when I was trying to narrow down to 10 athletes, it was so hard at like some of those sports, like you said, with golf, it's like, okay, he's clearly number one, but there's a number of people that I had that are clearly number one. Right. And there are some people that you're looking at it and it's like, lists are populated by people who are multi-sport athletes. So um, my next pick, it might end up hurting me in the Twitter poll because some people probably don't know who this is, but I will pick him anyway. And that is Jim Thorpe. Um, he was uh, ranked number seven by ESPN for North American Athletes of the Century, um, third by the Associated Press, and the Associated Press um, halfway through that century called him the greatest athlete of the first half of the century, also the greatest football player with that title. Um, one of the players who was part of the initial Pro Football Hall of Fame class, also in Hall of Fames for college football, um, American Olympic teams, and national track and field. He has uh, two Olympic gold medals in the decathlon and pentathlon. Um, also played in Major League Baseball, also played professional basketball. Uh, one of five players to play 50 or more games for both the NFL and Major League Baseball. And I think my favorite thing when I was doing this research um, the NFL for the 50th anniversary had uh, all 50th anniversary team um, had like Jim Brown at running back, um, Johnny Unitas at quarterback. The position they put Jim Thorpe at was legend. So no. that is how highly regarded Thorpe was um, at that point and still is. So even though he is probably the oldest athlete that either of us will take on this list um, for just being such a good multi-sport athlete and um, a lot of it being in football as well, which is what we do. And for being a legend in the NFL, I am happy to get him with my next pick. Damn. Nice. That's a great call. Um, yeah, I got to look at him more for sure. Uh, but you're getting the Associated Press's vote on this one. That that That's what matters. Um, okay. So this is my last pick here. I, I was tempted to go Joey Chestnut just uh, just because he's you know in the news uh, recently um, with the Glizzy Goblin competition, but I am going to go with Serena Williams. Uh, so 23 Grand Slam titles, which is more than any man or woman in all of tennis. Uh, I mean, Serena was she was high up for me as uh, earlier in, in this in this rankings process, but I I would be hard pressed to find another person coming close with with who's left here so i'm going serena fair enough um she's probably i think the third time that you've sent me in this draft of this next guy next person on my list and not going to get her so the last person that i will pick has probably been the hardest person for me to try ranking in this and that is bo jackson nice. um just because a lot of these people have longevity like with Serena Williams, one thing that I'll mention, even though I didn't get to pick her, is when looking through her accomplishments, there were things where she was both the youngest person to do things, as well as other things where she's the oldest to do things. So that was really impressive. Where Jackson, shorter careers and stuff, but he was a Heisman Trophy winner, a Pro Bowler, MLB All-Star, only person to be both a Pro Bowler and MLB All-Star, a very successful track and field athlete in college and could have been very successful in that if that's something he decided to pursue further. 
uh, one of just three players with 30 or more NFL games, 300 or more major league baseball games. And like when I was doing my research, looking at list, Bo Jackson was either number one or somewhere outside the top 10. But since so many people considered him number one, I have a hard time leaving him off of our list altogether. So I will take Bo Jackson with my last pick. Yeah, it's a great pick. I I was yeah, he was close there for me as well. So um, yeah, I like it. Uh, let's uh, let's do a quick recap here. So you went with Muhammad Ali, Babe Ruth, Usain Bolt, Jim Thorpe, and Bo Jackson. And then for me, it is Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, Wayne Gretzky, Tiger Woods, and Serena Williams. So it'll be close again. I will. That's what I thought last week and, and I got yeah. destroyed. So we'll see. How, we'll see how Twitter treats it. But so many people that we're going to get, how could you not draft him ever? How could you not draft this oh, person? God, yeah. um, Michael Phelps was left off for me. Like when it came to soccer, just because there wasn't a clear number one between Pele and Messi, mm-hmm. it was hard for me to pick one of those two. So I picked neither of those two. <laughs> and then uh, Babe Diedrichsen Zaharis, who was, uh, arguably the greatest female athlete of all time in both golf and several gold medals. And um, at the 20th century was one of the top 10 athletes. So someone that I considered picking as well, but just too many people that you're leaving some goats off the list when you're only able to pick five goats each. Yeah, for sure. It's it's tough. I Yeah, I had Messi on here as well. I even had like Floyd Mayweather. Um, you went boxing, so I stayed away from it. But like just generation wise, Roger Federer, or like I didn't know enough about men's tennis yeah. there. So I left Federer off. But um, all right, that that is it. I will get that up uh, at some point, I guess, tomorrow or well, it'll this will be out on Friday. So the, the, the poll will be out on Twitter on Friday. I don't have the other Twitter um, thing, whatever it's called, the, the Instagram one, but um, maybe Nate will put it on there. Right. Threads, threads, that's it. Oh, God. Yeah, um, I couldn't remember. Um, but thank you, everybody, uh, for listening. Uh, be sure to subscribe to the PFF Fantasy YouTube channel if you get a chance. Uh, thank you again to Nate, obviously, for doing this with me. Um, and uh, we also have the PFF Fantasy Discord that you are welcome to uh, sign up for as well. It is free and often tweeted out by our PFF underscore fantasy account. Uh, Nate, can you please remind the good people what you have up on the website this week? Sure. So this week uh, started the week with the top 300 rankings, went into detail with top 32 quarterbacks, top 60 running backs, uh, sleeper wide receivers, sleeper tight ends, where I did top five. So while you heard four of those players today, there are six more that you can read about. Um, also went into individual player profiles, uh, Nick Chubb, Josh Jacobs, Aaron Jones, uh, Alvin Kamara and DeAndre Swift. So those were my five for this week. Um, have plenty coming next week as well. We'll start uh, perfect draft strategy, also going perfect draft strategy by pick um, for 12 team leagues, one, two, three, four through six. Um, another sleeper article next week, as well as another rankings article next week, plus uh, five more player profiles, which I have not figured out which players I am writing about there yet, but have 10 articles going out. And then as always, subscribe to Twitter and threads. We will get John on thread soon enough. I'm PFF <laughs> underscore Nate Yaki on both of those. Um, John, how about you? What did you have this week? 
Yeah, so I just got the three breakout articles this week. So wide receivers, tight ends, and defensive backs for IDP leagues. And then we'll we'll do the defensive linemen the, the week after that, as well as some other stuff uh for the fantasy site. And then um yeah, I, I guess next week we'll 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 do this again. And what are we what are we gonna do? We didn't even really talk about it. I guess maybe sleeper quarterbacks and running backs. Oh yeah, that probably can work for next week, and then it's probably not too long from now we'll when we'll start having more than one episode a week once we get mm-hmm. even closer to draft season, even though drafts are already starting. I have the Scott Fish Bowl in Cincinnati this weekend, so I will already be drafting a full team at that point. Nice. Fun. All right. So that's what we'll do. Uh, thank you again, everyone, for tuning in. We really appreciate it. And until next time, peace out.